You're listening to a resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. It is our joy to glorify God by treasuring Jesus in the preaching of his word. We pray this resource will be a tool used to aid in your relationship with Christ in addition to your local church. Amen. Good morning, church. So glad that you're here this morning. Can we thank our guys for leading us in worship? As they lead our hearts to focus on, on God and focus on um, who God is and what Christ has done, um, it's a joy to be here with you um, now to focus on uh, hearing from God and Word. If you have a Bible, which I hope you do, you can open up to Luke chapter 8. Uh, Luke chapter 8 is where we are in our series. Um, we have made it uh, to chapter 8. Can we just give that a round of applause? Okay, now I know you guys want to rush through it, and so reveals your hearts. Um, just joking. Um, we have been walking through this series, and it has been a joy to, to see what God is doing through the book of Luke as we see the story of Jesus the Messiah. Um, what we do here is we're going to walk through the text um, pretty closely. So if you have a, a Bible and uh, you, you want to follow along with us, you'll see as we move into reading um, the text and then walking through it, we just want to focus on what it says and, and pull the truth of, of God out uh, uh, from where what it says, and we're going to stick very closely with it. I'm not going to go far off from it. And so as we, as we do that, here's where we have been thus far in this, in, in this series. Um, Jesus the Messiah is here on earth, okay? Um, God, uh, uh, from, the, from the beginning, had a plan to be in fellowship with his people. Sin had separated um, his people from, uh, from fellowship with him. And so he's, he spoke of a time when his Messiah, his King, his anointed one, the coming one, would come to earth and reunite man and God and, and change the heart of, of man um, to give a new heart and restore this, this fellowship. In the former days, the Bible says, um, he spoke through his prophets predicting this time. And then now in these days, in these last days from the time of Christ until now, he is, speaks through his son. And so his son has come to bring salvation to the world, the Christ, the Messiah, the King, the Savior of the world, right? And so a couple of messages ago, what we saw is that the state of affairs with this Messiah on earth is that he's being rejected. Right? And this doesn't make any sense to us because we see in retrospect. Why in the world would we reject the Messiah, the King, the Anointed One, the Coming One, who came to save us, to pay for our sins? Well... There was alternative motives um, as to why um, people wanted to encounter this Messiah. Specifically, the Pharisees didn't want to encounter him because their motives were the fact that they wanted to earn their way to God by keeping the law themselves. They thought they could, which we know is impossible as sin separates us from God. And so the Pharisees wanted uh, to, to earn their way to God. They're rejecting the Messiah, but also he's kind of stealing their thunder because as now the focus is on Jesus, the one who came to 
to forgive sins. Uh, the Pharisees who were self-righteous are now um, uh, kind of in a, in, a, in a tough spot. Do we confess that we're sinful or do we um, try to catch this Messiah and, and see that he is a, he's um, false and that he's not, uh, he's not truly God's son? And so they are, in a, they, they are in a place of rejecting the Messiah. Now, what we saw is that as they are rejecting the Messiah, Lucas showed us why they are rejecting the Messiah. In addition to what I just said, they're kind of being picky about him, okay? They're picky about the Messiah. They're like, yeah, we don't like this about him. We wish he was more like that. And uh, he's not doing what we want here. And therefore, um, this is not the Messiah that we want. And we can press pause there for just a second. Because this is also true of our culture and of us as people. And the fact that we want Jesus and we want Christianity until we realize who he really is and what his word really says. And then we want a different form of a Messiah and a different form of Christianity. But we want to be people who take his word for what it is and take the picture of, of who Jesus is for what the scriptures tell us. We conform to, to him he doesn't conform to us. And so when we see this picture of the Pharisees being picky, we saw that, remember we saw that, um, that picture of, of the children in the marketplace who's saying, we, we don't want you to do this, do that, and, and you're not doing this. And they're upset. They're like children because Jesus is not what they want. And yet the very next picture that Luke shows us is one of a woman who is in desperate need of forgiveness. We saw last week this picture of the prostitute. And we see this stark contrast. The Pharisees who are picky about the Messiah, he's not who they want. They are rejecting him. They're trying to catch him. And yet the sinful woman who doesn't have room to be picky about the Messiah, there's no room for it. I don't have time to be picky. I need forgiveness for my sins. And he's all I got. So she's not picky. She's desperate. And she anoints Jesus because he has shown her great forgiveness and she knows that her, her sin is great. And so she didn't have time to be picky. She just needs forgiveness for sin. And so this is what we've seen, this stark contrast. And we realize that those who love God and follow God and receive Jesus are those who are aware of their great need for forgiveness. And Christians who have received this gospel message continually fall more in love with Jesus by continually realizing how, to, how great of a forgiveness that they have received. And when we continue to cultivate and see the great forgiveness that we've received from Jesus Christ through his atoning work on the cross, the love that we have for him overflows if you're cold in your relationship with the Lord. Continually gaze upon the great forgiveness that he's given you in Christ. And let that cultivate a fire in your heart. This is what we're seeing, this stark contrast. Luke is showing us this stark contrast. It's a state of affairs, so to speak. Messiah is here being rejected, yet those who receive him are the ones who receive forgiveness and are aware of the forgiveness that they need. Now, as we move into today's story, Luke is giving us a summary Every once in a while in the book of Luke, he's going to stop. Luke is going to kind of stop, pause, 
take a deep breath and show us kind of the state of affairs. So as we moved out of the story with this sinful woman, he's keeping this same theme. He showed us who has received forgiveness and why they have realized that, that this is the Messiah because they need forgiveness for their sins and how this is a stark contrast between them and the Pharisees. And now, as we kind of take a pause and, and take a step back and look at the state of affairs, we realize indeed these, these are the people, these are the kinds of people who are following Jesus and are being used by Jesus to advance the message. The same type of people, the lowly, the ones who need forgiveness, the ones who receive him as the Messiah, the ones who are not picky about him, yet just realize I need forgiveness, I'm following him no matter what. This is, the, this is what the Messiah is doing. He's bringing these types of people with him. These are the people who are receiving him, and these are the types of people that he is using for the sake of the advancement of the gospel. And once again, we're going to see this stark contrast. I mean, it's crazy. Think about this. Think of the heart uh, of the Pharisee, and then look at this picture of salvation, Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure, and hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, this is how sinners respond to the gospel. In their joy, they go and sell everything, right, that they have in order to buy the field to have this treasure. That's how sinners respond to the gospel. Contrast that with the Pharisees. Right? What about what Paul said in Philippians chapter three? Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I will give up everything to know him. That's how sinners respond. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. These are the types of people that are following Jesus. And these are the types of people who are being used by Jesus to advance the gospel message. These are the people. Now, as we move into the story and see this summary, and we just really see a simple, specific band of people following Jesus, being used by him as he preaches the gospel, the question should be asked, are you one of those people? This is the question you ask yourself today. Am I one of the people who have humbled myself to see my great need for forgiveness of sin and therefore have received the Messiah as he is? And although lonely, lowly, and insignificant, although not a religious elite like the Pharisees, I want to follow him and be part of his plan that he would use me to advance the gospel message for his glory. Are you part of that group of people who has humbled themselves, received the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and is now following him to advance the gospel? This is simply the picture, just a simple three-verse summary of the band of people who are with Jesus as he preaches his message, okay? And again, I ask you, are you part of that group? Or have you rejected Jesus because you're kind of picky about who he is and who he isn't, right? And if you are part of that group, right, if you are part of the group who has received forgiveness from Jesus and is now following him and trying to advance his cause, do you realize that Jesus plans to use you? Ordinary people. Listen, real close, listen. Jesus plans to use you, ordinary people, to bring salvation to the world. That's who he plans to use. This is the state of affairs. Luke is just giving us a picture of the current situation, a deep breath, take a broad look, and then we're gonna see the story go on starting next week. So let's pray. Let's ask God to just reveal the truth and that God would show us what it looks like to be receivers of his 
gospel and to be following him on mission. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. We see, God, that you have sent your Messiah to earth, that this Messiah is the King, the anointed one, the coming one, the perfect Son of God, fully God, come as a human being to die. His eyes are set on the cross before him. And as his eyes are set on the cross, he is preaching his message. And, and the message is the good news of, of, of repentance and faith and forgiveness of sins um, based upon what you, Jesus, have done for us. And yet we see in this picture that Jesus is being rejected. And God, I pray that as we see this, we would, we would say we don't want to be like Pharisees who have no need, who have no awareness of our need for, the, for a Savior, for a Messiah, but instead are picky and choosy about what he's like. But I pray that we'd be a, a, amongst the number of, of people who are, who are lowly, who have been healed, who have been forgiven, who are with him, who are following him, and who are assisting him by, by your grace al- alone to advance this gospel message. And that we would realize that you call sinners and yet also that you use ordinary people who have been forgiven of sin to advance your cause. God, as we're going to see next week, two incredible parables of how one receives the gospel and how, how it takes root in our heart and how we're going to see how the gospel advances through us showing the world the light of, of you. God, I pray again that we would be among the people who the, the gospel has taken root in our heart, and we also are part of advancing it um, as we follow you, Jesus. God, I just pray that you'd reveal this truth to us in your word. In Christ's name, amen. Let's read chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, okay? Very simple. Chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, three verses, okay? But there's some meat in here. Um, and, uh, and then we're going to do something special at the end, okay? I'm going to give you a little hint. You don't know what that is. We don't normally do it here. I have it right here in my podium, um, but I can't show you yet, okay? <laughs> Just kidding. It's not here in my podium. But we are going to do something special at the end. Chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Soon afterwards... He went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Now you say, what in the world do we do with that? Well, there's only one point today, and it's what I've been saying. It's a specific picture of those who have received and are part of spreading the gospel. This is it. A specific picture. Luke is giving us a summary of the state of affairs. It's a specific picture of those who have received the gospel message and are part of of spreading it. That's it. We've seen this rejection from the Pharisees, and these are the people who are receiving. You say, well, who will receive it? If the Pharisees are rejecting him, who will receive it? Well, these are the people, the healed, the forgiven, those who are following, and those who are part of his plan to advance the gospel message, and they're ordinary. The first section, what we see here, is flowing from the last. So keep your eyes on the text. It's the picture of a group of people like 
the person that we saw last week, the woman who was desperate for forgiveness, Jesus had provided it, and then she was in tears of gratefulness because of receiving forgiveness. Now, listen, what we are seeing here is a continued picture of the kinds of people who are receiving Jesus, contrasted again with the Pharisees. And it's a summary. And what I mean by summary, as you look at this text, listen, ready? It's not an event. This specific passage is not an event, okay? It's not like what we see like next week, we're gonna see him preach a message. Uh, The next week, we're gonna see him preach another message, two parables in a row. We've seen specific events. This is not an event. And every so often, Luke has done this through his gospel, showing us that everything that we're seeing in regards of events is not everything that is taking place, okay? Jesus is doing specific things that we are seeing, and yet there is way more, far more going on behind the scenes than we can see here at this time. Jesus is doing a lot more than what we just see in these pictures, okay? Well, we also know, Um, before we just even look at verse one, is that this is the final phase of Jesus's ministry in Galilee, okay? This is the final phase of Jesus's ministry in Galilee. The first phase of his ministry, which was the first phase as it started in the region of Galilee was in chapter four, starting in verse four, uh, 14 and 15. Look at, look at what we see here. Jesus returned in the power of the spirit to Galilee and a report about him went out throughout all the surrounding country and he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. That was the start of his Galilean ministry. Now, this is the final phase of his Galilean ministry before Chapter 9, verse 51 is when that will end and he will head towards Jerusalem. Look at Luke 9, 51. When the days draw near for him to be, uh, uh, drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go where? To Jerusalem. And that will be the final phase of his ministry. What do we know is going to happen to him in Jerusalem? He's going to die. He's going to die there. So he starts his ministry in Galilee. This is the second phase. And he will soon be turning his face to Jerusalem to go and die. Now, why that's important is because, again, Luke is kind of giving us this bridge, this summary of what's been taking place in his ministry. Now, we see starting in verse one. Listen, ready? He says, soon afterwards. Luke says, soon afterwards. Soon after what? Well, soon after the time with the sinful woman, right? The time frame. We don't know how far after, but soon after, right? After the time frame of him spending time with the sinful woman in the home who had been forgiven and who had shed her tears on Jesus' feet. This is soon after. I think Luke does this on purpose to continue the thought from, from the previous section that these are the types of people who are receiving him. These are the types of people who are following him. These are the types of people whom he's using. Like the woman of last week and like the list that we get here in this passage. Are you part of that list? Luke is making this consecutive on purpose. We get this continued uh, uh, picture. Now what's happening? Verse one, soon afterward, Jesus went through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom. Listen, what we see is that Jesus is moving here. He's moving through villages and he's moving through cities. Now what what does this mean? He's kind of doing like a... uh, 
a, a preaching tour here, right? Well, the idea behind this, I think that solidifies our, our thought process of the fact that we're seeing the contrast of who's with him and who's received him and who's rejected him is that there's no message, listen, there's no message of him doing anything in the synagogues here, right? He's now moved to the streets, the cities, the villages, He's, he's reaching people in the open air, right? There's, no, there's, no, there's increasing hostility on behalf of the synagogue, and now he's concentrating his preaching and teaching in the open air, in the villages and in the cities. Now, who would make up the people in those villages and cities? Well, poor sinners, that's who, right? These are the people he's reaching. These are the people who are following him, and these are the people whom he's using to advance his message, poor sinners, Right? In contrast with the Pharisees who were in the synagogues who were rejecting him because they were picky about the Messiah. In the cities, in the towns, in the villages. Because what is true about Jesus, Luke 5, 32, is that he has come to call who? Sinners. Not the righteous to repentance. He's come to call sinners. These are the people who's following him. These are the people who are being used by him. These are the people who have received him. Also, unique is that he's in this one small area, right? He's in this one small area. And so he's got this small group of ordinary, insignificant, oppressed people who are receiving him because they're aware of their need for forgiveness. They are following him and he's using them. Contrasted with the Pharisees. This is all Luke is showing us, just the state of affairs. And what's happening is that Jesus is doing something throughout these, these regions. What is he doing? He's proclaiming and bringing the good news. The good news. That's what the gospel means. The good news, right? That Jesus has died for our sins. This is where we get the word evangelism from. But also what's key here is that this is good news to the sinners who have an awareness of their need for forgiveness. I think Luke is showing us this on purpose because, listen, this was not good news to, to the Pharisees, right? This is anything but good news to the Pharisees. The Pharisees actually would deem this as bad news, right? You telling me that I'm a sinner? No, I'm not. You tell me I need forgiveness? No, I don't. That's bad news. Don't tell me that. This is good news to the people in the cities and the towns and the villages, the people who need to be healed and receive forgiveness in his name. That's who this is good news to. Solidifying our point. This is what Luke is showing us. Who is responding? Who's following? Who he's using? And as opposed to who's rejecting him. So forgiveness from this good news, the good news of Jesus Christ, I ask you, is it good news to you? And if you're a Christian, is it still good news? Is the gospel still good news to you? That you have received forgiveness through the work of Jesus Christ. This is what he's preaching. By the way, this is our message. If you're a Christian, listen, you got a lot of other goals in life. There's a lot of other responsibilities that you can have. There's a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of other tasks, right? You can serve people. You can help people. You can do social justice. You can do a lot of good things. But as a Christian, listen, you have really one main goal, to preach the good news. That's it. So like we as a church, when we like send mission, you know, people on mission trips or, or et cetera, like we, we want to do a lot of good and provide food and shelter and, and clothing. 
But none of that is going to save a soul. Now, that can be means to move us into a place where we can share the gospel with somebody, but our ultimate goal in everything that we do is more than just social justice. It's the preaching of the good news of Jesus Christ that saves sinners and reconciles them to God. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's got one message, and he's only focused on it. And so are his followers. They've received it. They're ordinary. This is the band of people around him. This is the state of affairs. This is who's receiving him, and this is who he's using. This is what's happening. And the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only message. And let me encourage you, church, listen, that should be the only message of your life. Like you should spend your time, energy, money, et cetera, on on great and noble things to help people. But the essence of all of it should be the advancement of the gospel to the people around you. God has placed who he's placed around you on purpose. Your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, the people you encounter every day. That's why we're doing a relationship building seminar because all of those people are there on purpose. And if you're a Christian that has the gospel message and knows how to articulate it, which it's, it's really not difficult. That's not the reason why most people don't share their faith because they're ill-equipped, simply probably because of of fear or, or other factors. But listen, if you have this gospel, you're a Christian, and there's other people who live around you who are not Christians, God has placed you there on purpose to share the gospel with those people. And so this is, the, this is what is happening here. As Jesus proceeds, he is sharing the gospel with the people he encounters, and that's the main message of your life. It's the main message of your parenting. It would be great if you raise morally good kids. But it doesn't mean anything if you don't raise kids that you point to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this is the story. This is the message that Jesus is proclaiming. It's the good news. And what is this good news of? It's of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is simply referring to the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ. Now listen, think about this. This message, this message is being received by some people, by the lowly, by the ordinary, by the sinners. It's being rejected by others. Who would want Jesus' reign and rule in my life except sinners who know they need forgiveness? You don't have time to be picky. You want his reign and his rule in your life because there's no other way for forgiveness of sins. These are the people who are responding. It. You see, Yahweh rules in heaven, Right? Yahweh rules, he's enthroned in heaven. And what Jesus is doing is he is establishing his reign, his rule on earth in the hearts of people as it is true in heaven. This is synonymous with being saved. You receive this reign and rule in your life. The kingdom of God takes root in your heart and then advances around the world as you receive forgiveness of sin, reconciliation with God, a transformed heart. You, God's reign and God's rule has now come into your life. His kingdom is, is, is your kingdom, right? You live inside this kingdom, his reign and his rule. And so this is what Jesus is, is advancing. This is the only message. Look at Matthew 6, 9 through 10. Jesus tells us how to pray. He says, when you pray, pray like this. What? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This was his main goal. And so listen, as Christians, this is what we're praying. But as We see this story. This is what Jesus is advancing. No wonder the Pharisees are rejecting it. Why would you want Jesus's reign and Jesus's rule in your life unless you are aware that you need forgiveness of sin and there's no other 
other way, right? These people are welcoming Jesus' reign and rule while the Pharisees are rejecting it. The poor, the sinners, the powerless in the towns and the villages, that's who's receiving, that's who's following him, that's who he's using. That's what Luke is showing us. And I just ask you this question. Have you, have you entered into the kingdom of, of heaven? Have you invited Jesus' reign and rule in your life? And if you're a Christian, is Jesus in all areas reigning and ruling in your heart? What areas is he not reigning and ruling in your heart? This is what Jesus is doing. He's advancing this gospel. Now, as he's doing this, verse two, verse one, halfway through, don't worry, we only got three of them, okay? There's people with him. Who's with him? Well, first, it's the 12, okay? You guys know the 12, bunch of knuckleheads, right? Luke chapter six, verses 13 through 16, tell us the list. And when they came, he called his disciples and chose them, right? Whom he named apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. This is the 12, right? And what we know from these, this group is that they're not anything special. They're ordinary, right? They're simple. They, they haven't lived great lives in their own right, yet Jesus has forgiven them. They're aware of him as being the Messiah. They have, um, they're aware of their own sinfulness. They've responded to John the Baptist's message. Again, solidifying our point. The picture of those who are receiving him, following him, and being used by him, right, are those who have realized this, this truth. So these are the 12. Um, the 12 are following him. But it's not just the 12. Who else is with him? Verse two. Also, some women. Some women. Now, it's so interesting that Luke is showing us this picture. It's just wonderful. Because again, we're stopping and we're looking at the state of affairs and we're saying this is not what anyone would have expected from the Messiah. Like, would you expect this to be like the way in which you, God would choose to reach the world? Like the high-level religious leaders, reject. Right? The ones who are in high position, reject. And the state of affairs is that Jesus is going through towns and villages to poor sinners with a band of 12 knuckleheads and a group of, of women. Now, why is that a big deal? Well, it's a big deal because of where these women came from, which we'll talk about in a minute. But at this time, in this context, rabbis refused to teach women. There were no disciples that were women. There were no learners that were women. There were no followers that were women. Generally, at this time, they were actually assigned a very inferior place in society. Not capable of learning. Not uh, ones you choose to teach. Especially not ones who you bring with you as your posse in public. Right? And this is his entourage. This is the state of affairs. This is who he's saving and this is who he's using. Worst case scenarios, they're mistreated, undervalued, politically incorrect. And this is another slap in the face of the religious leaders who are rejecting him. We're seeing this stark contrast. This is what Luke is showing us. And they're with him in his travels, right? And these are the type of women. Verse two, they've been healed by evil spirits and infirmities. So not only are they women in a culture that, that doesn't value women, but they're also coming out of infirmities and evil spirits. They're delivered by his power and they believe in the gospel. This is an interesting entourage, 
right? But what Jesus does is he freely admits the fellowship of these women with him, and they, he accepts their service. Jesus welcomes them among his followers. Now, I want to share with you in just a minute, briefly, just a list of what we've seen so far for the women that have been involved in the advancement of this message. But let me just speak to you for a minute, women. Because it's not the main point of this section, but Luke shows us this on purpose. And I want to just tell you, women in the scriptures, especially in the gospels up until this point, have been used greatly in prominent roles to advance this message. And I want to tell you, if if you're, you're a woman who maybe wonders whether or not God can use you, what role you play in the advancement of the kingdom of God, and maybe you feel insignificant, maybe you feel like your skills fall short, maybe you feel like you don't have a lot of, a, a lot of what maybe other people around you have to, to give to the cause, and, and God might use you in a, in a small and insignificant way, and maybe, maybe you don't know how God can use you. I want to tell you that, that God wants to use your life in a great way. There are other women who need to know the gospel, and God has placed you in their life on purpose. There are places in the church that only you can be of value and service, your heart, your loving kindness, your assistance, your generosity, your provisions. God wants to use you greatly. And, and I want to I encourage you um, because God loves you and you have a special place in his plan. You really have a special place in his plan. And I don't know if you feel insignificant in it or maybe you feel like God's using you um, in incredible ways, but I don't want to miss this opportunity to just encourage the women in the room that God has a special place in his plan for you. And God wants to use your life greatly. He does. He's called you to himself. You're a daughter of, of, of God in Christ Jesus. And he plans to use your life to advance the gospel message. He's used a lot of these women. And, and many of these women, well, all of them, were not perfect by any means. And so for you, don't, don't look to your perfection for God to use you. Trust in Christ. Surrender yourselves to him. And let him use you, right? And so I want to encourage you in that. I, f- I hope you find confidence in the pictures that we've seen in these women that God wants to use, <laughs> use your life. And I'm not trying to patronize you in any way. You might already know that. But if you don't, I want you to know that God wants to use your life greatly, no matter your background or your failures or your shortcomings. And so we see this, and it's the first um, introduction of a specific woman. As we walk through this, Soon after, he went through these cities, these villages, these towns. He's proclaiming the good news, the kingdom of God, God's reign, God's rule. Who's with him? Who's his posse? Who did he choose to bring? It's 12 knuckleheads and some women who were devalued by society, who had come out of evil spirits and infirmities. 
This is the state of affairs. This is who Jesus is with. This is who's receiving him, and this is who he's using. And now he introduces a name specifically, and the first is Mary called Magdalene. Now, again, this is the first introduction of Mary. Many people get this confused. In our last section, there was a prostitute anointing Jesus with oil. There's another story of Jesus being anointed by a woman later on. Her name was Mary, and so I think people think this is the same story that we heard last week, that her name was also Mary, therefore she was a prostitute. And then in this next section, Mary Magdalene is introduced. So maybe people misconstrue the fact that it's the same Mary and then this is the Mary Magdalene that we're talking about here. So therefore it must have been Mary Magdalene last week. I don't know, right? But this is the first time we hear of her as the scripture shows us. This is the first time yet Mary Magdalene is used often and frequent in the story of Jesus's life and ministry. She was there for the cross, the burial, the resurrection, and she's always listed amongst the women who are mentioned in Jesus's ministry. Magdalene is, is where she's from. It's just to differentiate her from other Marys. Mary is a common name. She's from a place called Magdala, um, and, uh, and this is still a modern place, Migdale, uh, along the Sea of Galilee. Uh, most images of her are this beautiful woman who was saved from this immoral life, again, because of the confusion with the stories and where she's inserted and where she's introduced. But what we see is that this is the first time that she is introduced and nothing in scripture supports this beautiful woman who's been saved from an immoral life. Instead, this is the picture that we see, the first picture of Mary Magdalene. And what we see here is that she's been saved from seven demons. And so really this is not a prostitute who's been rescued as much as it's someone probably with a mental, physical, or spiritual oppressed disorder. Like this is a woman who has been oppressed in every way, and this is who Jesus has rescued and who is following him and who he's going to use greatly. Then the next person we see is Joanna. Joanna, what do we know about Joanna? Well, not much, but we do know that she was with Mary Magdalene at the resurrection. Look at Luke chapter 23, verses 50, verse 55 and 24, 10. Then the women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb. So there's women, right? And how his body was laid and they returned and prepared spices and ointments. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the other woman with them who told these things to the apostles. So there she is. What we know is Joanna's faith made it to the end all the way to the resurrection. So we commend her for this. Her and Mary Magdalene are there. The gospel had taken root. And otherwise, other than that, what we know of Jonah is that her husband is probably like the palace overseer, steward of Herod's palace. Like he's a high ranking official and she has obviously let go of that life in order to follow Jesus into the towns, villages to reach sinners who will receive him and to be used by him. So Mary, who from Magdala, which is nowhere, demons cast out, Joanna, either physical illness or demons, in some ways leaves a high-ranking life, not that she left her husband. She probably didn't, but, um, but she is still following Jesus into the towns and the villages. And then what we see is Susanna. Susanna is incredible because we know nothing about her at all. So if you're wondering, like, well, tell me about Susanna. Well, I don't have anything to tell you, but it tells us something. It tells us that she was pretty insignificant. 
This is the group. There's no further detail. So, women, just another note so far in the story. Elizabeth, Mary, Anna, Peter's mother-in-law, the widow Nain, sinful woman, these three. And, not to mention, all the places that we see rejection and Jesus being ill-treated are all done by men. And so women, you have a, a wonderful place. But this is the story. And then at the end of this, the 12, the women, we see that many others. Now, are many others referring to the women? Um, it's feminine here uh, in, in how it's uh, used. The, the phrase here is feminine. Could be, or it could just be literally there's 12, there's women, and there's many others. Either way, here's what we know is that people are providing, look at this, ready? People are providing for them out of what? Their own means. So how is this ministry working? Well, the Pharisees are rejecting. The sinners who have received forgiveness, who are ordinary, are following. Jesus is using them, and their little insignificant means are being used to advance the kingdom of God. Their financial support as well as their lodging. Listen, Jesus' ministry was supported by the people in whom he had saved. That's how it worked from the beginning. Talk about like why do we see that model here um, in the church? Well, it's because that's the model we saw from Jesus. That's the model we see throughout all of scripture, right? His ministry depends on the generosity of those who have been changed by the ministry. That's, that's just how this happens. They had a common purse, and so they usually took out of the common purse. They had more than enough. They gave it to the poor. Look at this example, John 13, 27 through 30. If you don't know, actually Judas was the one who carried around the common purse. And so as they're sitting at the table, look at this. Um, Satan entered into Judas. Jesus said to him, what are you gonna do? Do it quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why Jesus had said this. Jesus was talking about betraying him. Some thought that he told Judas to go give the money to the poor since Judas had the money bag. And he was telling him, buy also, buy what we need for the feast and give some to the poor. And so what we see is there's this common money bag that they were all living in, right? They had given up, listen, they had given up everything for the sake of following Jesus. These are the people who are receiving him. Have nothing, ordinary, received it because they know they need for forgiveness, forgiveness and Jesus is using them but they are being used by their little, small, insignificant means to advance this gospel message and provide for the ministry. This is the picture that we get. They were serving. They were contributing. By the way, this is where we get the word to serve, um, also deacon from um, in this contributing, right? And so this idea, this is what we see here, that, that they're, they're supporting the ministry in which is taking place. And so as you can see in this picture, right, they, his ministry is dependent upon upon the generosity of those who have been changed by his ministry. That's the motto. They're supported by those who have, been, um, who have been changed and saved. All this to show you one picture. This is, this is who's following him. This is who's receiving him. And this is who is being used by him. And they're ordinary. Contrasted with the Pharisees. Now listen, church, I want to tell you that if you find yourself on this list, you're in great company. Because if you would just realize that you need forgiveness for your sins, and if you would realize that you have nothing great to bring 
But Jesus offers that forgiveness. If you would realize that, that what you're called to do is follow him wherever he might go, even if it means losing everything. And if you would join his plan and allow him to use you, although you are ordinary and don't have much to offer, the world will hear this gospel message and Jesus' kingdom will advance. This is the state of affairs. God wants to use you. Now, in order for us um, to help you do that, today was kind of a special day, and I told you we'd have a surprise. We don't have a lot of time. Um, it's, I didn't lie to you um, fully. There is something special in my podium. Um, but there's someone else I'm going to welcome up who's not in my podium. Marie Wiles, would you give her a round of applause? Um, we, don't, we don't do this often, um, and you guys know this. Usually I'll preach right up until the end. Um, we don't have much time at all. And then um, we'll worship and we'll dismiss. But what we would like to do is, is move you into a place of being competent and capable, although ordinary and significant, that you would be people who have received forgiveness and being used by the Lord to advance the gospel. You're wondering, what are all these men doing? This is my entourage, okay? <laughs> be, af be afraid. Um, what we have done, church, just stay with me, okay? We're gonna do this until it's close. Is in order to help you be effective for the sharing of the gospel message, we have um, created a, uh, a simple um, way for you to, to know this gospel message, which I hope you already do, and to articulate it to the people in your world. And so these are hung outside um, in the hallway at the new info center. Give Laura a round of applause. And these are, uh, this is a step-by-step -step method for you to share the gospel. Now, I, want, I don't have time to explain all this to you, okay? You know I'm long-winded. Um, but I do want to tell you that although this may in some ways um, be unconventional in the ways that you've learned to share the gospel, um, we truly believe that this is the right way to share the gospel, Okay the biblical way. So it's a little bit more robust. It's got a little bit more substance to it. But I want to encourage you to be, um, to, to be faithful and earnest, to, to grab one of these on your way out and to become super familiar with it and allow God to use you to share an accurate picture of the gospel. The last thing our culture needs right now is easy believism, right? Like where, like, hey, I, I'm in desperate need. Yo, pray a prayer. All right, you're good. Now let's forget about Jesus for the rest of my life, right? We don't need that. We need people who truly, even though it might take time, understand the, the true gospel message and respond to it and are saved and, and truly follow Jesus and their heart is transformed and they know him for a lifetime. So um, we've created this. Everyone can take one. They'll always be handed out. Um, what they have on it is a little perforated edge here. Um, and so you can take that off, take it with you, Stick it in the front of your Bible. Oh, that's the back of my Bible. You can do that too. Um, in the front of your Bible and bring it with you. So as you sit down with your friends and family and share the gospel, um, you can be prepared to do that. So right now, what we're gonna do, it's gonna be, it's, I know it's odd and we don't normally do this, but we are going to, um, I'm gonna enact this for you. The reason being is because I want you to be a church that's equipped to share your faith. Okay, I can't go through all of this. I'm not gonna go through all the verses and it's probably gonna seem pretty rigid, especially transitioning from point to point, okay? But that's simply because we don't have a lot of time, 
okay? If I could sit down with a friend that I know um, and I can truly explain this, this gospel, it would, it would take some time for, for us to dialogue and walk through the, the truth of it. And so, um, you ready? Okay, it's gonna be a little awkward. All right, I'll explain some things to you along the way, freeze frame it. Um, Marie, it's good to sit with you today. You know, I wanted to hang out today and maybe grab a, grab a cup of coffee because I wanted to share something with you. And I don't really know how to get into this except to be genuine with you and to tell you that I love you. I've really appreciated our friendship. And, um, and I want you to know something that's true and that has, has meant a lot to me and um, that's changed my life. Um, it's the truth that I believe and I believe is true for everybody. And the most unloving thing that I could do um, uh, to you and is, is to not share it with you. Um, uh, and so I know that, uh, that um, you know, there might be some questions that you have and that's okay. But could I share this truth with you? Yeah, that'd be great. Um, you know, I've been going to church on and off my whole life, but I've not really had an opportunity to really understand what the Bible says and it can be confusing. So Absolutely. I would like that. Well, this is the essential message, um, and this is where we start, and, it, and the message is the gospel uh, of Jesus Christ, and I want to just share with you um, what this gospel is. I want, you to, I want to help put this all together for you, make sense of it all, and understand the essential message of the good news that Jesus died for our sins, and uh, so I want to I show you this throughout the scriptures. So um, let's start. Um, the first thing that, we, that the scripture tells us, that the Bible tells us, is that God is, is holy. Um, we start there with the holiness of God. And although um, that might not uh, mean a, a ton to you right off the bat, I, I, think, it, I think it will make sense to you um, as we see this accurate picture of God that maybe we don't often have. It's, the, it's that God is set apart. He, he's different. He's unlike um, anyone else. And uh, we need to start there with, a, with a, uh, an accurate view of God. And so can you read um, Isaiah chapter 6, um, verses 1 through 5? Uh, chapter 6 here, uh, the small number indicates the verse. And, um, and so verse 1 until you see uh, verse number 5 through there. In the year that King Uzziah died... I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. So this is a picture that we see of God, that he's special, he's set apart, he's unique, he's holy, he's without sin, um, he's morally pure. Um, and this is the big God that created everything. Now freeze frame this, I wanna tell you briefly, the reason why we start here is as we've just seen in, in the Luke, um, people who respond to the gospel are ones who are aware of their need for forgiveness. It's easy to be picky and choosy about, about the Savior if you don't understand the state that you're currently in, which is, um, I'm a sinner um, in the face of a holy God, and I need 
forgiveness. And so we want to start out with the holiness of God. Can you imagine if our culture understood and saw a big God who is pure and holy and set apart? Wouldn't that be incredible? Um, instead of a maybe puny, impotent God who we can uh, maybe uh, take when we want him and leave when we want him, right? So Marie, I told you these transitions are going to be rigid. Um, the next thing um, that we see out of God's holiness is that God created us for his glory. And so this holy God also created us to bring him to bring him glory. Now, what that means is that God made us to reflect an accurate picture of who he is, right? And the reason why he made us like that is because when the world sees God and experiences more of God, that's what's best for them, for us. And so we want to reflect accurately uh, uh, the picture of who God is. And so the Bible says that he created us for that purpose. Can you read Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7? Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Okay, so we were created for his glory. And so um, that makes sense. Is that, is that uh, a, a picture that you can understand up until this point? Yeah, I think it's been good for me to see um, God's holiness, something that I don't think about a lot. And when I see and understand that, um, it also helps me to see I'm not like that, <laughs> mm -hmm. but I was made for a purpose. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, um, and so we see, and you just said it, we're not like that. The Bible actually tells us that we fall short of actually reflecting that, that perfect picture of God. In, in, in the book of Romans, right, if we turn to, to Romans, in, um, in chapter 3, um, verse 23, it, it, it tells us pretty, um, pretty clearly. Um, can you read that out loud? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay, so the Bible describes us as sinners. Though we were made um, to reflect his, his perfect holiness, we fall short. Um, we are sinners. The Bible gives us this idea of sin. Um, it's like an old military term where there's a target and a, and a bullseye. And, and the, hitting the bullseye would be perfection. But anywhere we miss, even if it's just you know, small, a, a small miss or a large miss, that distance between us and perfection is called sin, we, we fall short of reflecting accurately the picture of, of who God is. And so the Bible says that we are sinners. Typically, we think about that as maybe we've done morally bad things. Um, we've done more wrong than we had done right. Um, but the Bible describes that picture as, as falling short of accurately um, uh, reflecting uh, the holiness of God. And so um, would you say that you've seen um, evidences that you're, that you're a sinner? Yeah, and again, you know, I appreciate you explaining this to me because I think a lot of my life I've been thinking about, um, you know, being good and trying to do enough, you know, if we could outweigh the bad with the good and um, then somehow, you know, we're making it right before God, but just that there's not nearly enough good that I could do um, and that I constantly fail. Absolutely. I'm in agreement not to, just <laughs> yes, to I know, tell you right? that you're I a failure. I'm just fail. Thank you. <laughs> trying to help friend. this message you're along. A good friend. You know? yeah. mm -hmm. All right. I'm a sinner too. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, I want to tell you, Marie, that there's um, more bad news. Okay. okay? Um, the, the more bad news is that, um, that not only are we all sinners, but there is a punishment for sin. 
Now, freeze frame this. I want to tell you the reason why I listed it this way in this point is because even though the, we know the punishment for sin is hell, um, prior to us getting there, I want to establish just the general truth that there is a punishment for sin. If we can help a, a, a people, a culture to realize God's holiness, we were created for his glory, we're sinners, and just the objective truth that there is punishment for sin, um, that's a, a place to start, right? Because uh, many people don't even believe that. And then we can move into what the punishment is. But there is a punishment for this sin. And listen, I want to tell you that the punishment is, is because God is good, right? Um, God is just. He is good. Um, we don't want a God who's any other way, a God who just sweeps evil under the rug, right? That's not good, right? That's not a morally pure, good God. He's got to deal with sin, so he punishes it. It's because God is good that there is a punishment uh, for sin. And, and the Bible describes this punishment um, to, to be separation from him um, eternally in a place the Bible calls the Bible calls hell. And so um, can you read uh, Romans 6 and then 23 um, in the beginning? Um, there's seven there, so okay, you got it. For the wages of sin is death. Do you want me to read the whole thing? Oh, that's okay. We can start with that beginning part. Um, and uh, what we see, uh, the wages for sin is death. So do you know what a wage is? Like something you would earn for a job or a... Absolutely. So the payment that you receive for the work that you've done, it says the wages of sin. So the payment we receive for the work that we've done, which is sin, the Bible describes as death. And here, it's not just like we all go into the grave, although we do, and that's a result of sin, but we are eternally separated from God in a place the Bible describes as spiritual death, um, uh, uh, apart from God, the opposite of eternal life, eternal death. And so the place the Bible calls hell. And so because God is good, he's got to uphold his goodness in punishing sin. And so we We've seen so far God's holy, that he created us for his glory, that we're sinners, we fall short of that, and that there is a punishment for, for that sin. But here's the good news, ready? Is that Jesus took our punishment by paying the price, uh, the penalty for our sin. Um, we see in the Bible that Jesus um, paid this punishment to, to appease God's wrath. And so I just want to um, show you one verse. I'm going to stay in Romans here. Romans chapter 5. By the way, if you're sharing this, I would go through all these verses, okay? We just don't have time. We're already late. Um, chapter 5, uh, verse, uh, verses 8 through 10. Can you read those for me? But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we now have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by death of his son, much more now we are reconciled. Shall we be saved by his life? So Jesus paid this penalty even though we are sinners, even while we are sinners. He came to earth. He lived a perfect life. He went to the cross. He died on our behalf. He rose again from the grave. And our punishment is taken because of Jesus' work. Um, and so this is the good news that Jesus offers you forgiveness through taking the punishment, the penalty for your sin. Um, now, the Bible tells us that this is all objectively true, but why doesn't it count for everybody? Well, the Bible tells us that we should respond to this, that we need to respond for this message to count for us. And the Bible tells us that the way we respond is through repentance and belief. Freeze frame, just want to tell you that um, oftentimes it's the simple um, prayer. In Scripture, what we see is a ch choosing of repenting 
turning away from living for ourselves and believing, believing in who Jesus is and deciding to follow him. Um, a prayer can be included, um, but is not absolutely necessary. Although you'd probably want to pray, this whole picture that we see across scripture is following him, um, believing in him, turning away from self. And so we want people to get an accurate picture, not just pray a prayer, but decide to live for him. And so I'm just going to give you um, uh, two verses, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verses 14 through 15. Um, can you see this, uh, just read this um, portrait of what it means to, to repent um, and turn to live for him, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who might live no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So one of the ways we respond is turning away from living for ourselves and to li living for him. Just for the sake of time, I'm rigid transition. I'm gonna turn you also to Romans chapter 10, um, verses nine through uh, 13, as we see um, really what it looks like to believe and call out for this salvation. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with your heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For scripture says, everyone who believes in him shall not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So we see this picture of turning away from living for self, turning to him, and believing in his son Jesus, who did this work on the cross um, in, his, in his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection on your behalf and a crying out to him um, and, and telling him you want that to count for him and you want to account for you and that you want to live for him. Um, and so usually we'll work our way into this. Do you want to do that right now? Yes. All right. Awesome. She's easy. Um, so um, Maria, just want to encourage you right now as we pray and you receive the Lord Jesus to articulate the truth the truths that we just talked about, um, and, uh, and to declare to the Lord that you are making a decision today to no longer live for yourself, live for him. You want to follow him, and that you believe in what his son has done for you, and you want it to count for you. Ready to do that? I would normally help her with some aspects of this, help them as much as they need it. Marie is fully competent. Here we go. <laughs> God, I believe that you are holy. Um, thank you for showing me that in your word. And God, I see that I'm apart from you because of my sin, um, that my sin is real. And um, God, I wanna confess to you today that I am sinful, that I choose things that serve me and um, my selfishness over you. And Lord, um, I'm so thankful that Jesus came as a human and fully God to live a perfect life to go to the cross willingly and to take the punishment of sin. That he died and was buried and God, he defeated sin and death. That he rose. And because of that, God, I can know you and I can live for you. And Lord, I pray that you would be my savior and that I could live differently because of that, Lord. Thank you for the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. She's already saved and she's crying. <laughs> um.
making me cry here. Um, stop that. All right. Well, Marie, lastly, I want to just tell you the way in which we go forward from here is that um, most simply put, we live according to the truth of his word. Um, and so I want to help you with that, Marie. Um, Devin, go ahead and hit that. Um, we, um, I want to help you with that and what we call discipleship, and, and we can help you grow. Um, I'm not going to read a verse here, but you know it's in there. And, um, and we're going to live according to his word. If we live according to his word, he teaches us how to then live out this new faith of following him after we've received this. And um, uh, as Pastor Taylor says, God takes us from brokenness to mission, and so our goal is to help you get on mission. Please take one of these as you, as you leave today and use it in your, in your life with those around you. Again, as we saw in his word through the scriptures, um, God uh, chooses to use ordinary people. This is the state of affairs. Ordinary people who have received forgiveness are now following Jesus, and these are the people he's using, um, and I pray that he would use you just like that. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for um, what we've learned today through walking through just a few verses. God, I pray that you'd use this um, evangelism tool for your glory. I pray that many people would come to know through that. I pray you'd use our growth discipleship as uh, uh, Pastor Chad and, and, um, and Marie helped people to really understand what it means to, to live for you and then how to be equipped um, to be on mission for you. Um, I pray that we'd be among the list of people that we've seen today in the scriptures, um, ones who are not rejecting you because we're picky and choosy about who you are, but we understand our need for forgiveness. Um, we love you because of it. Uh, we're following you and uh, you're using us, although we're ordinary. Use us to share this gospel message with the people around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.